lesson this night comes from the 13th chapter of John. I invite you to hear these words. Before the festival of Passover, Jesus knew that his time had come to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them fully. Jesus and his disciples were sharing the evening meal. The devil had already provoked Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the table and took off his robes. Picking up a linen towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he was wearing. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will understand later. No, Peter said, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't have a place with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus responded, those who have bathed need only to have their feet washed because they are completely clean. You disciples are clean, but not every one of you. He knew who would betray him. That's why he said, not every one of you is clean. After he washed his disciples' feet, he put on his robes and returned to his place at the table. He said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you speak correctly because I am. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too must wash each other's feet. I've given you an example, just as I have done, you also must do. I assure you, servants aren't greater than their master, nor are those who are sent greater than the one who sent them. Since you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify the Son of Man in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I'm with you for a little while longer. You will look for me, but just as I told the Jewish leaders, I also tell you now, where I'm going, you can't come. I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you also must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love each other. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Laura and I have done a fair amount of personality leadership type of tests. And one, and one of those that, that we've done and used is, is the Myers-Briggs test. And we've done in-depth versions of it and tried to figure out one another's brains, which always works really well as a couple. And um, so, so we, we've looked at these things and considered them. And Laura found out like a month ago that there's a children's version of the Myers-Briggs test. And so... Um, she submitted our children to the questions. And, 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 and so they, they answered them uh, and, and, and came back, you know, which combination of letters our kids were. And there's 16 possible combinations, basically, for what can, can happen. And our oldest 
and if you know her, um, came up with the exact same letter combination as me. And our youngest came up with the exact same letter combination as my wife. And now we had joked, we had joked forever that the, that the girls are in some ways many versions of us personality-wise, but this test proved what we had experienced, and that is mainly this, that Laura has to deal with two of me at the same time. God bless her. When we are close to someone, we start to become like them. We could take on their mannerisms. We might even solve problems the same way, go about aspects of life the same way. In this scene from Jesus' final night with his disciples, I'd like to focus on three things that the scripture shares with us that give us a glimpse of the depth of Jesus' love. Right away in the passage, it says this. It says that Jesus loved them fully. That's how the common English translates it. Other translations might say he loved them completely or he loved them to the end. All of those translations are possible. In this moment, this moment where Jesus knows it's his final night, his disposition is not questioning what he's about to do. It's not even determined resignation for where he is going, but his posture is one of love. I think about a person who is dying, who does not even have all of their faculties. Yet so often that person often waits for the one family member who hasn't come yet. And, and unspeakably, they do. They hold on until that person comes and gets to say goodbye. This happens a lot. The person who is dying, I think in that case, is loving fully. They're loving to the end. Jesus is going to demonstrate full and complete love. And this is not about Jesus having some sort of loving feeling towards the disciples, like, hey, isn't this nice? We're all having this dinner here together. By the way, someone's going to betray me and we're going to go to this garden and it's all going to go bad from here. No. It's the love that he has, it's about the extent of God's love for humanity and for the disciples and for the world that is flowing through Jesus. God's love that is coming through him so strongly. The next passage that, or the next words that, that I find intriguing in this passage are when Jesus then tells Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will understand later. Of course, when Jesus comes to wash Peter's feet, Peter is indignant. Peter is not being ridiculous or over the top here. No one would have let Jesus wash their feet. Just to flip it around, the disciples would never have washed Jesus' feet. That wasn't something that was done. That was the servant's job. It was for the lowest caste and and tier of society to do. And I feel like Jesus, when he says, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will understand later, it's Jesus not giving in to a child's temper tantrum here. 
when a three-year-old throws a temper tantrum in the Target checkout line because I want this, right? And you've never seen it and you've never been through that before and I'm not speaking from my own experience. That parent in that situation has two choices. One, they can give in and they can make their life a lot easier in that moment. Or the second option is this, they cannot give in and make their life a little more hellish. But the problem, right, we know is that giving in over time creates a spoiled child who eventually thinks that they have a right to anything they want. And we have seen adults who grew up clearly getting what they want in the target checkout line or the equivalent thing as a three-year-old. So the parent feels a little bit like Jesus in this scenario. You don't understand what I'm doing, three-year-old, who's just made my life a living hell in this place, but you will understand later. In John, when Jesus tells them you'll understand later, he means that on, when you look back after his death and resurrection, this will start to make sense in your life. And Jesus then goes on, right, to tell Peter, you have to participate in my death and in my resurrection and in my humiliation. It is like the washing of feet. You need to participate in it with me. This is the life of walking with Jesus. We understand a lot better what God was doing in our lives in hindsight. It's what makes many older people so wise. They've been through it, and they start to see how the events of their life somehow worked out for the good, and God used things that seemed horrendous at the time for God's good and glory. And then Jesus continues, right? And as he explains to them, as he puts his robe back on after he's washed their feet, he says to them, just as I have done, you also must do. Jesus explains the foot washing to his disciples by saying, do this. As I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you should also do it. For Jesus, love is not something that we say. No, love is something that we enact. It's something that we do. So he says that this act of foot washing is a metaphor for the command that he's going to give really the main only command that Jesus gives, right? He says, a new command I give you, just as I have loved you, so also you must love each other. Just as I have loved you, so also you must love each other. Friends, when we receive the grace of Jesus, we bear that grace in turn to one another. By this definition, Christian people should be the most grace-filled, patient, loving, kind-hearted people, for we have received the grace from Jesus that can then pour out from us to one another. But we know that being in proximity to Jesus does not necessarily equal closeness to Jesus. Remember, Judas Iscariot was in close proximity to Jesus for three years. But Judas shows that he was a disciple in name only. But friends, this is why you're here tonight. This is why you're worshiping with us. To draw close to Jesus. To receive the gift of his love in washing feet. 
to receive the grace that he offers us in his body and blood. When we are close to Jesus, we become like Jesus. We are so filled with the love that he has for us that we overflow with that love for one another. To where mannerisms start to become like those of Jesus, to where the way we think and make decisions starts to be like that of Jesus, especially to where our love becomes like his. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.